Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. No matter how much success you currently have, you have to think about what's going to disrupt you. How would you break your own company, hmm. so to speak? And you have the inside view because you know where things are good and weak. And it's hard for people to kind of go down a path that's a little negative. But we know the truth is, is while we sit here and we're doing well today, somebody out there is thinking about how to actually change the industry, change your business. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed Episode 77. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Neil Sahota. Neil is an IBM Master Inventor, United Nations AI Advisor, and a Chief Innovation Officer at UC Irvine. He is also a global speaker and author of the award-winning book, Own the AI Revolution. Neil is an expert in out-of-the-box thinking and has over 20 years of business experience working with organizations and advising entrepreneurs on building strategy, establishing target markets, structuring companies, and developing next generation products and solutions. Neil's expertise spans all industries, but even with all the corporate success, Neil devotes himself to the nonprofit world. He is dedicated to social good and community projects and co-founded the UN's AI for Good initiative. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. I'm excited as well. And actually, this may be my first podcast with a real AI expert, um, which is great for me because I, I know precious little about it. I, I feel like we should jump onto cryptocurrency. It's like another thing I know nothing about, but we'll get to that maybe a different time. Anyway, so, so tell me about AI a little bit. Obviously, not too technical here for the novices in the room like myself, but, but like, what do most people not know about it and why should more people be learning about AI? Well, the truth is, is we're all using AI every day without realizing it. I'm not talking about Alexa and Siri, that kind of stuff. Right. But in our everyday activities, even like searching, or even getting news feeds, it's actually AI that's actually pushing us content. So you think about like uh, you're doing a search. So Sephora, the cosmetics company, they don't, they don't even know who you are, but based off your keywords, they can generate a personalized landing page based exactly what you want. And they use AI to do all that stuff. Wow. I feel like they, they, they track me down. Like I, you know, you, you search for something online, then all of a sudden, I'm on Yahoo or one of my email servers. And next thing I know, boom, there's an ad relating to an email that I got. It almost feels kind of creepy. Um, so that, that, that's, the, that's the scary part of it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just curious to see because we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit more. So besides for searches and things like that, how is AI affecting the world? Let's talk practically speaking. I know there's a lot of concern, for example, about folks losing their jobs and becoming redundant. Uh, so talk us through a little bit about the, the realities of AI today and kind of where you see, see things moving forward. And from a leadership standpoint, both in terms of dealing with your people right now and what AI might mean for us 
uh, in the future for organizations, even for ourselves? Well, I won't sugarcoat it. Some jobs we know will go away. The goal is not to automate everyone out of a job. There's always new jobs that are being created. You think about 10 years ago, we didn't have you know Uber Lyft drivers or social media marketing managers. The jobs of tomorrow are actually being created today. And it's really tapping these new capabilities that AI is actually giving us. So you know, we, we talked about some of the, the personalization, but AI is like really good at like the, doing psychographics and doing some of the grunt work, the high volume data type of you know, things you get a process. So it's really gonna become more about not just you know, the STEM jobs and computer science, but we're actually gonna get a lot more philosophers and artists hmm. because now that we're entrusting machines to make recommendations and in some cases decisions, we actually have to be able to think through what could happen, kind of the scenario planning and the outcomes, especially the exception outcomes. And these are all thought exercises. This is actually what philosophy teaches us to do. And no offense to you know, our great educators out there, our school systems are not really designed to teach critical thinking. And so that's gonna become a more important skill set, not just the academic arena, but also yeah. for jobs in the companies. See, I want to talk about that last point with the critical thinking, but let's table it for a second because you, you, there was something else that was like underlying uh, much of your response. And that has to do with, you know, I forget the exact quote at the moment, but the, the, the new normal, so to speak, is change, right? So in other words, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, or even more recently, people for the most part could go through a predictable process, you know, go to school, get their skills, go to work. And the skill, the skill set for the most part would remain more or less the same, you know, tweaking it here and there, adding a little bit as you go, but you didn't have to worry about career transformation if you wanted to be a lifetime X, whether that X was engineer or that X was teacher or whatever. You know, as you know, over time, things have rapidly changed and people are adjusting their careers multiple times over. You know, I was in education, as I shared with you before, uh, before we got started here, school leadership as well. And now I'm in coaching and I do podcasting and a variety of other things that I had no idea really how to do, let's say 10 years back, but I've developed that new skill set. And I think that one of the key things, since I was asking you about leaders, let's sort of stay there for a minute. I'd like to get your take. Um, leaders, I believe, need to be able to manage change. They also need to create an environment where change can occur, where people can make mistakes, because ultimately any organization that's not a learning and growing organization and a changing organization, I think, is doomed to failure. So I'd love to get your take on that. And what are some examples perhaps of where you've seen leaders really take the bull by the horns, embrace the concepts of change, and what are the, the ROI, if you will, the benefits for them in doing so? I 100% agree. And the, I think the big challenge a lot of leaders have today is that the rate towards the speed of change is happening faster and faster. So it's not like we do something, we have time to do it, we'll see how it shakes out. It's like, as you're making this change, it's already gonna be outdated in just a few years. So you gotta start planning for what's after that and then what's after that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's tough for us in that we tend to be more reactive in our thinking. You know something in the market changes or something in the environment changes. And 
you know, we, okay, we'll, we'll start adapting to that. It's like, well, now we have to be good at anticipating what's going to happen. Otherwise, we're perpetually behind the curve. So I actually want to hear how, how do you advise people to do that? Because that, that, that takes training. It's like almost like, a, like you're building your muscles, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's discipline, I would imagine. There are processes, I'm sure, that are involved. But what's, what's your secret sauce, so to speak, to get people thinking in those terms? And, and actually being, because we could think, right? But the thought process may not be effective. So, so how do you kind of walk people through that? Well, I actually, through my, my, all my work, created my own kind of framework, which I call Tuckbo, but essentially... You call it what? I'm sorry? It's called Tuckbo. It stands for think different, understand different, create different, be different, own different. So it's like... A a lot of, there's a lot of different in there. Well, you got to be different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so walk us through it a little bit. So the, the basic premise is that no matter how much success you currently have, you have to think about what's going to disrupt you. How would you break your own company, hmm. so to speak? And you have the inside view because you know where things are good and weak. And it's hard for people to kind of go down that path because it's a little negative. But we know the truth is, is while we sit here and we're doing well today, somebody out there is thinking about how to actually change the industry, change your business. So be the person that does it, then the other, your, your future competitor. Yeah. A great example of this is actually some work I did in law. So the legal industry is one of the slowest moving, slowest to change industries. And uh, well, not slower than education. <laughs> I, I won't argue that one. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. But we digress. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, they're, they're making lots of money. And here I am talking about trying to fix something that's not really broken. And I just said, Look, everything is good today, right? But think about what's changing. You're already starting to see some pressure from clients on like fixed price, uh, you know, work. And they're like, well, that's never really going to happen and this. And I said, pretend it does. Pretend your top 10 clients, you know, all come back and say, we're only doing fixed price work now. What are you going to do? They're like, well, they, they can't do that. Pretend they are. And so they start thinking like, well, we have no idea then how to cost out the work. And you know, they started realizing like, you know, we don't do things efficiently because we don't have to, you know? And then they started realizing we, we probably should actually start looking at some tools that would actually, you know, lower our costs. And it got them to start thinking about this where actually a couple of these big firms, rather than wait for the, the clients to put even more pressure on fixed price, started going out and bidding fixed price, uh, contracts and work and they were surprised by how quickly their book of business started growing because they were actually serving this unmet need and mm -hmm. doing it before your customers started asking for it that's cool it actually sounds a bit like a like a swot analysis where right you're you're asking you to identify the strengths and weaknesses the opportunities as well as the uh the threats and when you kind of have all of that in front of you you know, it's not easy. You say, like, you're right. You know, uh, it, it can be gloom and doom if you're if you if you go down that road. But on the other hand, it exposes your your potential weaknesses, and at least it gives you opportunity to recalibrate. You know, think about possibilities moving forward um, before things go off the rails. A hundred percent, and it's also a shift in perspective because you know we we're used to looking at our our businesses or organizations in a certain way because. 
were inside the forest, so to speak, got to push them out. Like for, for these managing partners, part of the pushing out was looking from the client's perspective, right? And yeah, well, that doesn't really matter. I'm like, just do that for a moment, right? It was like an eye opener for them. It's like it, almost like dead yeah. poet society when they jump on their desks and they're looking from a different viewpoint. And, and that's really a critical piece. I mean, it's not maybe where our focus is in the moment from an AI standpoint, but it's just good practice, you know, like, you know, as, as a coach. So I tell my clients all the time, I had my mastermind group, uh, what was it, just yesterday. And we were talking about that coaching at its core is really two things. It's awareness and accountability. I call it the two A's, right? So creating awareness with my clients about where they are, where they're going, what they really want, all of those things, which good questioning you know, sort of extracts from them, but gives them that perspective. And then asking them, now that you know this, what are you going to do with it, right? That's the accountability piece, setting goals and then following through, making sure somebody's there to kind of nudge them along. So you're giving them that perspective, Neil, is what it sounds like that I want you to think differently because the world is changing. You might be over here and you're comfortably operating in that little space and it doesn't seem like anything is broken. So if, they, if it ain't broke, why fix it, right? Yeah. On the other hand, we also know that we're operating in a world, excuse me, in a world that's moving quickly. And it's only a matter of time until things, you know, really start to, uh, to change. 100%. And that's, I know what we sound, we're talking about makes perfect sense. And it sounds straightforward, but doing it, completely different story. Yeah. So I want to talk about something else that you're, into clearly a uh, part of your, 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 you know, your bio that I read and just who you are as a professional. And that is master innovator. That's what you called yourself. And so I want to go with that. Cause I'm, I'm curious. Um, what does it mean? I want to, you know, you hear about innovation all the time, right? You got to be innovative. You got to think differently, blah, blah, blah. We get it. There's a lot of cliche out there in the business world, but what does innovation really mean to you? And how do you help people become more innovative? You talked about law, for example, not an industry known to be innovative. I mentioned education also. It's gotten better, it's gotten better, but not typically known to be innovative. So you're sitting with a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of educators, a bunch of, I don't know, business owners of any variety who are used to doing certain things a particular way. What does innovation look like to you? And how are you helping them through a coaching and a reframing standpoint to get them into a better, quote, more innovative place? That is a great question because we throw out this word innovation a lot. And for me, it really means finding a way to change our, our process, our product, or our system to do the work differently. So I'll give you a quick example. And I should amend that and do it in a way that adds value, right? Not just just do something. Good. I'm glad you added that because I wanted to add to my question and I didn't, right? Because sometimes we innovate for its own sake and that's not necessarily good either. And that, by the way, actually causes a lot of distrust, I have found. Because, for example, I was just talking to an, a, a school leader yesterday about doing a professional development training that they have coming up. And the most jaded people typically in the room are the veterans, right? Because they've been through a thousand of these trainings and like more of the same stuff. And somebody comes and talks to us and blah, 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 right? We don't want to innovate for its own sake. We want to innovate for growth. So let's get back to you and your perspective on this. What's the benefit of innovation and how, what's your process? The I mean, the benefit is beyond the value, we 
with a chance to actually accelerate things. So, you know, an example, you know, Elon Musk always talks about uh, his company Neuralink. He wants to put chips in our brains, literally, to, so that we can use AI to decode our brain waves. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable with drilling a hole in my head. And we no. don't really understand how brains even, work. Even with a head covering, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather avoid that. Yeah. But I, I've worked with people that, like, if you are born without a limb or you lose it in an accident, we know the brain can still send signals to the stump. And again, this is where, especially with AI, the marriage between the domain experts and the technologists is critical for success. Rather than think about, okay, how do we figure out what the brain is trying to do? Is there a different way? Can we be a little bit more innovative about this? And working with the doctors and nurses, we realized that sending a signal to that stump is a process in your body. And so we realized part of that process is muscle and tendon motion. And so we can stick an IoT sensor array like above someone's elbow. It'll pick up those motions, the AI will decode it, and then let the person control a robotic hand essentially with their mind. And so it's like we have the ability to restore mobility now to someone without a limb. That's a huge value add, but it's a whole oh, yeah. different way of doing it where we're not worried about the brain signal. We're worried about muscle and tendon motion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's something that I thought was really innovative and a great breakthrough. And but those things sound to do. push back on that a little bit because those things sound, you know, not Hollywood-esque, but they sound like you know, really cool scientific stuff that only a handful of really smart people in white robes or white, you know, lab coats are doing somewhere off often in secrecy. I'm I'm trying to bring this, and by the way, it's a great example. I'm not trying to dismiss it but I'm trying to make it more relevant, right? So let's take it now to the average small business owner, entrepreneur. So entrepreneur is probably a little bit more innovative because that's the space in which they operate where they're trying to bring innovation to the market. So it's a totally different mindset. So let's think about it from people who are dealing with more brick and mortar, established institutions, nonprofits, for-profits, et cetera. What is your, what is your sort of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, your rallying cry, your 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 uh, message to them. Hey guys, right? You know the the, the fire is coming. Let's ho- let's hop off this before we we lose the future opportunity. Take us through that process, and more importantly, for people who've been doing things the same way for a really long time, how do you actually? You talked about training, you know, and 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 and, and muscle usage and things like that. Let's sort of borrow that idea. How do you get people who are used to kind of like, you know, that guy from the, from the Dunkin' Donuts commercials years ago, time to make the donuts, you know, doing the same thing every day. How do we get those people to think different? Uh, that, that's getting them to make that kind of perspective shift that we talked about. So this is understanding what's really the problem you're trying to solve and the root causes to begin with. Because to be honest, we start looking superficially and we see one or two things that that's it. We live in an age of such complexity, it's, it's probably like seven or 12 underlying things. And you don't need to try and solve all seven to 12 things, but you can solve three or four of them to make a difference. Um, I actually had a, a friend who is a, he's a therapist by trade. He was running a clinic that for, to help depressed and suicidal teenagers. And he was constantly frustrated because he's like, there's not enough help for these kids. There's you know, not enough what? I'm sorry. 
help for these kids, help. right? There's not enough therapists and psychologists. And, mm -hmm. and we live in an age where mental health issues are unfortunately increasing. Yeah. And I remember we were talking about it and he's like, and I asked him like, look, in an ideal world, what would you do to solve this problem? And he's like, I would like, I would increase the number of therapists by tenfold. I'm like, okay, that's probably not realistic, right? It takes training and time. What else could you do? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you need therapists. I'm like, well, what are some of the things that therapists can do? And could some of that be, you know, temporarily offloaded to reduce the load? Like, you know, could you have someone else collect initial information or triage the patients? And so he started thinking about it and he started going like, well, you know, we could actually use chatbots to do some of this stuff. And he started actually looking into it based on our conversation. I, I kid you not, he wound up uh, quitting his practice and running the clinic to start a company. So he started an AI company, not a technology. He started a company called Serial AI, where he basically built an AI engine that uses neuro linguistics and psychographics to actually give an outlet for depressed and suicidal teenagers. That here's a tool that gives them a little bit of safe space, a place where they can feel like they belong, not substitute for human relationships, but help them take that first step and get some initial kind of help and guidance for the teenager and the parents so that they have some level of help rather than saying like, well, we got to wait eight months for a therapist to open up and we hope that they click. Yeah, it's really interesting and also very timely because to use that example, um, so I have somebody in my mastermind group, he does, uh, I guess we would call it um, offsite HR. So provides HR guidance and support uh, for companies that may not have the uh, the size and, um, and, and the manpower to, to onboard their own, you know, full-time HR person, but they need HR processes handled. Uh, you know, they need policies established. They need payroll to be, you know, uh, processed, whatever that might look like. And so we were actually talking, he was on our hot seat. So we were talking about the issue of pricing, right? And how do you price out different options for people who are not necessarily ready for that full retainer that I was just describing before, and so one of the suggestions had to do with, you know, using email and, and instead of, let's say, being, being on site or using email, and then you can sort of collect the different questions that you get and almost automate them. So when people ask a question, you have a system in place that can give them that basic guidance. So it's not quite a therapeutic, you know, structure. It's a different type of support that we're talking about. But I imagine, you know, a lot of people being able to have different levels of support, whether it's chat whether it's like, like, like FAQ search type of options, uh, a data bank that people could refer to for various things, all supplied to, to your people in an automated way so that you're not, you can't clone yourself, but you can do the next best thing, which is to really reserve your time and your energy for the ones that you need to serve at that highest level. And those who are not prepared for that get the benefit of you know, this, these other types of services that you could potentially offer all as a result of thinking differently and having tools. Yeah, 100%. And so to you know, all the entrepreneurs out there, you don't need to be an AI expert or a technology expert. Just understand the basic capabilities, right? That's and and just know how to reach out to Neil. I mean, you need both. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> both of those, and then you're all set. You know, but it is true. It is true. Even someone like me, um, I, would, I would have considered myself relatively low tech. 
you know, I wasn't on social media when I first got started in all this. I, I, I knew nothing about website design. I've done all of that since then and more. There's still plenty I could do potentially with AI, but I think that if you have a real operation going from a business standpoint, there's certainly a lot of opportunity to uh, engage with people as well as to, to serve them without really having to roll up your sleeves directly, you know, and getting, and getting involved. Uh, I do want to talk to you about one other thing. It's actually a chapter in my book. I referenced this book on occasion. I know you've written one as well. I'd love to uh, hear more about that in a bit, but I, I bring this out from time to time. It's a book called Becoming the New Boss, which is for new leaders in particular, but leaders of all stripes. And in there, I reference a, um, a story. When I was going for uh, a graduate degree, I had relocated to Chicago. My wife is from there. We had just gotten married and I needed to finish one course plus some uh, student teaching in order to complete this master's. And the course took place in a small university northwest of the city uh, in a town called Schomburg, which is um, also the home of Motorola. And so the professor walks in one day, he was teaching a methodology course in social studies. And he walks in and he says, I just had a conversation with an exec over at Motorola. And he said, you guys in education, this is the late 1990s. So like very, very end of the 20th century. Uh, you guys in education have it all wrong. And, you know, he was like all bent out of shape. What do you mean? You know, he's a professor, whatever. And the guy says, because you don't teach students to collaborate. You don't teach students to be innovative. You don't teach them to utilize what in effect has become known as 21st century skills. Those are not priority. It's all old fashioned, rote memorization. And there's so many people, influencers. You mentioned Elon Musk, Gary Vaynerchuk, so many guys who talk today about we have to change the way we educate our kids because I could pull out my smartphone at any point and find out who the 16th president of the United States was, right? I can find out which of the capitals of every state in the, in the union are really quickly by just asking Siri or whatever. But if I want to be effective, if I want to change the world, if I want to get a job in today's environment, I need to be a people person. I need to understand processes. I need to be able to innovate and think differently. Right? These are critical skills for today's workplace. So I'm curious to know if you were sitting with a bunch of, um, whether, whether, it's, whether it's college presidents or, or high school or elementary school superintendents and principals, and you were given the floor at a large conference and you had a chance to tell them what you see in the workplace and where education needs to go in order for there to be better alignment between all this time and money we're putting into education and the results that need to be there for people's success, what would your message be? My, my message would actually be very simple. It would be that the future of work is philosophy, the arts, and soft skills. Oh, you got to explain that one. <laughs> I, I talked a little bit about philosophy earlier, so I won't rehash that, but the arts... I think is something that's actually very critical. It's, and it's not just that we're all trying to create unique experiences with our products and services, but think about it. How do you actually influence and motivate people, especially if it's like a behavioral type of change or a style type of change? And art's a very powerful way to actually do that. So I'm not saying like, well, well, I'll show them a great painting or a great sculpture or something like that. You have to think about how you create this more immersive experience that connects with those people. Those are skills. Really that, interesting you're saying that. Go ahead. Do you, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just got to say, the, the, those, are kind of, those are exactly the skills you learn in the arts. I forget the guy's name because I'm not a Shark Tank devotee, but one of, one of the more popular ones, uh, gentlemen, uh, definitely of the 
of the older generation, so to speak. I, I remember seeing a short clip, maybe a, a reel on Instagram recently, where he says that if you would have asked him for the top three uh, lines of or pathways to a future of success educationally, he would have said engineering, engineering, engineering. But more recently, he says it's all about, like you said, the arts, because the people making big money today are the ones who can tell a good story and frame that story in a way that people want to consume it, because that's how selling is done. And that's purely from a very business-oriented vantage point. It's nothing to do with you know, holistic learning or the whole learner, or all that stuff, which is nice, which is great. But, you know, a lot of business people want to know the brass tacks. You know, they want to know bottom line, what's going to make me more money. But what you're saying, Neil, if I understand it correctly, is that it's not just what we call fluff. It's not just here's your STEM and here's your rigor. And let's just do a little bit of music and art and whatever videography you know, for fun to kind of round out that cultural, whatever that's called, which I think has been the mindset for a really long time. You know, anyone who was taking those electives and was taking those kinds of, you know, fun, fluffy type classes over the years was never considered to be a serious, you know, entrepreneur or somebody who seriously wanted to make money in their life. But it sounds to me from everything I'm hearing, and again, you're welcome to reinforce this, challenge it somewhere in between. Um, sounds to me that the people who want to be successful, you know, as they're becoming, as, as they're sort of moving through their educational process, which by the way, is a lifetime at this point, it's no longer four years, right? It's forever. Um, and, and certainly those people who want successful businesses need to make sure they have those creatives either on site or like I have through Fiverr, through Upwork, through, you know, through, through uh, other platforms that allow me to tap into people's creativity in a way that ultimately serves me. Well, hundred percent. And I can tell you that I've seen in the last couple of years, there's been a big shift from hiring MBAs to wanting to hire actually people with MFAs. Mm. So this need for to have creatives is definitely starting to resonate with, with companies. And on the flip side, you look at more entrepreneurs and startups, I'm seeing more and more incubators and accelerators focused on the creatives now to help people that are more creative, be able to launch businesses. So they're actually just teaching them some of the, again, the basics about business, but let them unleash the potential of their artistic mind. Nice. And an MFA is a master in fine arts. Is that what that is? Correct. Yeah. Sorry, the PLAs. (laughs) Right. No, no. You guys know the terminology. Just want to make sure everybody's clued in. Okay. So Neil, that was a great segment. And I thank you for that. Uh, We're going to now shift to the rapid fire, keeping our answers short and sweet. Just going to hit on a few things to add a little more texture, so to speak, to our conversation. And the first one, we've talked a lot about AI, but I'm trying to really help folks who want to make sure that humanity doesn't disappear into the ether. So something that despite AI, we will always need humans for. Ironically, creativity and imagination. Okay, good. Uh, A great tool for innovation. If I want to become more innovative, I know we talked about processes. What's a tool people should get their hands on? Mind maps, very effective. And finally, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Lack of sleep. (laughs) Oh my. We're going to have to challenge that one after this session ends. Because I actually, you should know, I, I sleep more than I used to. 
um, because it's it's become such a, uh, a critical piece for for the work that I do. But it sounds like you're getting a lot done despite the absence of uh, of sleep. I I normally only sleep three four hours a oh. night my entire life, so a bit of an advantage uh, for me. Okay, no, that's definitely an advantage. I've talked to I've talked to some people who could do that. I cannot, and I will not even try. Okay, so without any further ado, tell all of Lead to Succeed, please, uh, how they can find out more about your work, connect with you, Neil, and uh, really gain from your experience in, in AI and in innovation and just in general. Well, the, uh, the best places are my website, which is my name, neilsohoda.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, like Instagram, Twitter. I'm constantly just sharing what new things that are happening, new innovations and things that I'm up to. So please feel free to, to connect with me either way. And when you do, you're going to see an, a unique symbol next to Neil's name. Neil, why don't you tell us what that symbol says and what it means? So that is my Chinese name, Sai Guanjun, which essentially means champion. Okay. So I think everybody needs to get a Chinese name after this one. <laughs> All right. So last one before we go. Uh, I always like to get one final life lesson to wrap up a conversation. Neil, what's on your mind? How can we uh, really take Lead to Succeed Nation to that next level uh, with a powerful lesson? The, the best lesson that at least I've learned is risk is not a bad thing. So I know we're kind of trained to look for negative risks, the threats, but risk is just uncertainty. And those are, are positive risks. We've got to train our minds to look for those opportunities. Nice. Yeah, risk is important because if we don't take it, we'll never grow. That's for sure. Well, Neil, it's really been a pleasure talking with you, getting to know you better, having conversation about really important topics. We hit on a bunch of things, education, change, innovation, AI, next steps, a whole new world, pretty scary stuff. But at the same time, if you don't discuss it, you know, it'll just show up anyway. So you may as well be at the front end of the conversation instead of on the back end. And clearly you are the person to lead that conversation. So thank you again. And uh, I look forward to developing our relationship further and certainly hope that Lead to Succeed Nation will reach out to you to learn everything and anything about the topics we, uh, we touched on today. Have a fantastic day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 